Amen. It's good to see everybody. Um, I'm glad I made it to this point because I had finals this week. I'm too old to have finals now, I'm telling you right now. I had two papers due this week alone. I was just, whew, feeling it. And I had to preach. And I had to do my job. I mean, what in the world? And uh, I woke up this morning and said, I want to feel good. I'm going to wear a linen shirt today. I'm a mood dresser, you know what I'm saying? Like, what am I in the mood for? I thought I might get in trouble because my wife didn't dress me, but she said, she, she gave me the thumbs up. I said, all right, amen. Uh, I'm not in trouble. But, um, but now I'm mad at the, the worship team because they played too many good songs and made me sing, and so now I might lose my voice in the middle of the sermon. Man, my man AP coming back talking about let it rise. I said, okay. He threw a couple oofs in there, you know. I was like, okay, AP is back. Man, it's good to see everybody. Oh, all right, we're going to jump in. I know I got my time. I got my timer on. I'm ready to roll. We're going to start a new series this week. Um, but before we start the new series, um, I just wanted to kind of share a few thoughts with you that I think have been kind of helpful for the last couple weeks, uh, that w- what we've been doing here. Um, so we're going to do the new series, but I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll dive in. So let's pray. Oh, Father, I don't want to be in a hurry really want to, even though I'm speaking, I still want to listen for you and really want to experience your presence with my brothers and sisters, with our friends that have come from out of town or our neighborhood or our co-workers. Just want to be present fully, honor you, lift up the name of Jesus, express the truths of the faith, take uh, the communion together, I look forward to all these moments and not be in a hurry. And uh, just grateful for, uh, grateful for, you know, my own mother, grateful for all that she poured into me, grateful for my wife, who's an amazing mother that I get to witness on a daily basis, and grateful for Mamma and Big Mama who have passed on, but I remember, and uh, just grateful that uh, we get to celebrate these, these moments together. Use this time, Lord. Please use it to reach people's hearts. And I'm praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the last couple weeks, uh, we have been, you know, we had, we had Easter a few weeks ago. And, uh, and it reminded me of something because even after Easter, we kind of kept talking a little bit about the resurrection, which inspired me. Uh, and it reminded me of something that I um, took in one of my classes and talked about how Christianity, Christianity is a religion that takes time seriously. History is where God is made known. Without time, there is no knowledge of the Christian God. For it is through actual events in historical time that this God is revealed. Real stuff happened to real people in real time. And that's what the faith is all about. And so we are not kind of in this once upon a time storybook, you know. We're not the Star Wars in the galaxy, whatever, you know, in a galaxy, whatever time it was. No, real places, real time. And the thing about the Christian faith is that there are things that have happened in a typical year and in real time that we can remember and rehearse and recount, right? And when we, the more we do that, we can grow in our faith, all right? And so one of the things is, is like early on, here's, here's an example. Early in the Christian faith, Easter was huge, obviously. The resurrection of Jesus 
So before that, oftentimes they would have a 40-day period where they would teach people that really wanted to become followers of Jesus and get baptized. They would teach them for 40 days, and they would fast, and they would pray, and that was a really great time for them to remember Jesus in the wilderness, right? And, and so that was a time that became important in the church calendar, all right? And so over time, that became Lent, right? A time period we know as Lent where you have, uh, it starts on what they call Ash Wednesday, and you know, it's, you, you remember that, hey, from dust we come, dust will go, and that's a time where people fast, you know, and they really repent, and they, they give stuff up that they really like, right? And that happened for centuries, but think about that. Every year of your walk, every year of your life, you know there's a period of time where you remember about Jesus in the wilderness and not eating, and, and you just— you rehearse that year after year. It can, if you allow it, help you to grow less shallow in your faith. But as you know, you know, Americans, we like to do things differently, okay? You know, around the 1700s, we really got fired up about uh, not the religious aspect of Lent. We got fired up. Wait, if I'm going to have to give up stuff for 40 days on, starting on Wednesday, I'm going to have some fun on Tuesday. <laughs> right? Mardi Gras. That's it. That's what Mardi Gras is, Fat Tuesday. It's because Wednesday is when you start the 40 days of fasting. You got to have, you got to have fun on Tuesday. So that's how we did it here, right? And, and now, you know, what, what does Jesus have to do with Mardi Gras? You know, nothing, right? But so things got twisted. Something that happened in real time in our Christian faith got perverted, twisted. And now people, some people, that's what they think of. And here's the deal, 40 days fasting, you know, doing without, you know, okay, amen. But by the time Easter Sunday came around, it was a time to celebrate. And oftentimes these people that have been studying for 40 days, they got, they would fast like Friday, they would fast Saturday, and they would wake up on Sunday morning and at sunrise there would be, you know, a huge amount of people getting baptized into Christ. And that was the way it was done for many centuries. What a beautiful reality, right? And so Easter Sunday started 50 days of celebration in the church, 50 days of celebrating. That first Sunday after they got baptized on Easter, it was the first time that those people could fully participate in worship. They were celebrating. The church was celebrating. And, and soon after that, the ascension of Christ, all of these great things, for 50 days the church celebrated. What a great time to remember. They would remember that the Easter Sunday and what it represents, new life, what God can do, overcoming death. We can experience that for 50 days. And you know, on the 50th day was a huge celebration called Pentecost. And that's what they would celebrate. So just think about it. Isn't it ironic that here in our country, most people remember the 40 days where you give stuff up more than the 50 days where we're supposed to celebrate. Why did that happen, you know? I say we bring back the party, you know what I mean? That's kind of where I'm at. I want to figure out how to, how to have post-Easter and in in between Easter and Pentecost and culminate in a great— I want to figure that out. It might take us a few years, but I'm just letting you know that's kind of where my mindset is because these times are real in our, in our, in our Christian lives, guys. These, these are real moments that happen. In Pentecost, we're going to celebrate that June 5th, all right? So get ready, you know? We're going to have some, hopefully have some food and just celebrate how powerful it is when God's Spirit has come to be with us in a powerful way and to even dwell within us. It happened in a real time and real place. So time is important, and we're going to look at some things here in the next series 
we're going to talk about some of the things in the Christian faith that are important to our faith and talk about them in such a way that hopefully we can be in, you know, inspired to be able to share these types of truths with people without feeling intimidated or without feeling like we got to be crazy defensive, you know. And it's called like uh, uh, the, the term that's used is apologetics, uh, which really is a, is a word that means to defend something. Um, problem is, oftentimes when we hear defend, we get kind of funky. You know, we think we got to assume a posture of like, I'm, you're the enemy and I'm going to defend. That's really not the spirit of what it's supposed to be about, right? And so our new series is going to talk about, you know, some of these truths of the Christian faith, right? What is truth? That's what Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth, right? How, how, as if to say, how can anyone know truth anyway? But I'm going to tell you, your faith is based on real facts, happened in real places that either happened or didn't happen, but let's not sit there and say it's like uh, leprechauns or Star Wars. No. No. And so now we can be all funky as we talk about these things and, you know, because you know how this world is. Well, you got your truth. I got my truth. There's that truth. Okay, well, or, or there's another way to look at the world, right? And, uh, and this passage, right, is a, a wonderful passage that gives us kind of the framework of what we're talking about today. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, right? And always be prepared, right, to give an answer. Some of your translations say, make a defense. That's what that word means, apologia. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with what? Gentleness and what? Say that again. Oh, if Christian people could be known for this. If only we could be known for this. Gentleness and respect. Yes, it, is, it might be a defense of the faith, but you don't have to be ornery about it. All right? Uh, I forgot to change the slide. I, I told you I had finals, so I messed up a word on this slide, so there you go. But it's a quote. Often it is not the precepts of the Christian faith that are offensive to the people of India. It is the way Christians present them in their life and practice. And this is a, this is a current kind of evangelist kind of guy out in India who's trying to spread the word in a primarily Hindu nation, right? And so it's the, it's the way we can come across, guys. So let's, let's remember... Don't be all funky out there, you know, when you're getting, when you're waiting in line for your, you know, caramel macchiato and you start talking to somebody and they start bringing up the faith and this, the, you can actually have a conversation and approach these truths. And we're going to talk about a couple things today in the time that we have that I think will be helpful. And so let's look at the basic tenets of the faith, right, uh, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. And he lays them out really, really easily, right? Um, We'll just jump to, to verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, important, don't look over that, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living. Think about that. Paul is, Paul is making a, a statement. If you think I'm crazy, 
You can go find some of these people that saw him and talked to him. I mean, imagine making that claim. You got you to gotta really believe that. And then he goes, but some of them have fallen asleep. Some of them have died. So Paul's, I know these I mean, I know these people. And I know some of them have died and some are still there. Go talk to him. See if I'm crazy. Again, he's not, he's, he doesn't have to be mean-spirited as he's sharing this. Just gentleness, respect, right? Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as his one abnormally born. All right, so he, was, he died, okay, and he was buried, and then he rose again. All right, so we'll, we'll explore some of these things. The first thing we're going to look at is there's not too many options about what happened on Easter Sunday. There's not too many options. I mean, think about it. Either the tomb was empty or what, right? <laughs> so we got to figure that thing out. Again, this is in real time. This is a real, Jerusalem's a real place, guys. You can go there today. This is where it happened, all right? And guess who were the first? All four Gospels say the same thing, basically, about the gender of people that found, that were first resurrected people, right? That saw Jesus resurrect. And what was their gender? <laughs> women, right? You know, John's Gospel talks about Mary Magdalene going, right? So women. All of the Gospels talk about women being the first people to see the post-resurrected Jesus, okay? Amen. So right there, you got to deal with that. You, you need to deal with that. And this is what I mean. If you're a first century Jewish context, first century Jewish people are writing these scriptures, they're trying to even convert in a way the, the, their own people. This is the problem that a first century Jewish person has with women. This is, this is history. Look it up, right? Josephus was a Jewish historian. <laughs> In his antiquities, let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. So women's testimony, invalid. Their testimony is not valid. These are, and these are rabbinical texts, some of these. These are rabbis writing. Again, real people writing real words, real time. Go find it. It's there. Sooner let the words of the law be burnt than delivered to women. I'm just a messenger, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Moving on, you know, started to feel some stuff coming up. Uh, happy is he whose children are male, but unhappy is he whose children are female. Now that hits a little close to home. I'm a girl dad and I love it. <laughs> Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe who has not created me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Thank you, God. Uh, this is the context that the people writing the scriptures lived in. This was the water they swam in and the air they breathed. If, you, you don't have too many options. So why would people that are Jewish write about their Jewish Lord and say that the, the, the first people to have bare testimony to his resurrection were women? Why would they do that? And all of the gospel writers did it. I mean, wouldn't you want to erase that? Seriously, wouldn't you just, eh, let's slide somebody else in there. Guys, our, this faith is never going to catch on if, the, if we got to rely on the women. But no, that is what has been recorded. So as you talk about, you know, as you're waiting for your caramel macchiato, 
and you're talking about your faith and, you know, I don't know about this, you know, how do you trust all these gospels and all that kind of stuff? You can actually talk to them about, yeah, it's so interesting how they allow, that women are the ones that found Jesus. Wow, you know, that would have discounted the message, but it still made it out. How do you, like, and just ask, how do you account for that? Right? You don't have to be all ornery. It's a good conversation. But I think you, here's the deal, guys. Just because you, you may know facts about Jesus doesn't mean that you're prepared to answer someone else for the reason that's a hope that you have. Two different things. You might have even already heard this stuff before, but that still doesn't mean that you can, with gentleness and respect, engage in a conversation about the faith and about why you believe what you believe and some of the reasons why. And some of the things that you, maybe you, you're still chewing on, but at least throw them out there and maybe ask their answer. Why? Why would that be? Here's the deal, guys. If you're going to just fabricate some fairy tale about some guy raising from the dead and the Jewish faith in the first century, you are not going to have women be the, the testimony. So right there. So think about that yourself. Talk about it amongst you and your small groups. And maybe you can even come up with cool ways how you can talk about it as you wait in line for your cappuccino or whatever the heck you drink. All right. <laughs> Matthew 28. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them if, you know, here's what you say. <laughs> say this. His disciples came during the night and stole them away while we were asleep. Okay, and if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him, you know, keep you out of what? Keep you out of trouble. Why would the guards be in trouble? Because on their watch, the tomb was empty. And do you know what could have happened to them? They could have been executed. The guards were very, very invested in this situation. Their life depended on that tomb being full with Jesus' body. All right? So you factor that into this whole story too, right? So the soldiers took the money, and they did as they were instructed, and look what Matthew says. This story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. And even 2022, some people will say, okay, maybe there was an empty tomb, but the, I mean, they just stole his body. Okay. Either they did or they didn't, but let's figure it out. Let's just figure it out. What are, what are the options? All right? So the options are, this is, they stole the body. All right? So you got some fishermen, some women, a zealot, and a tax collector, and they decide, you know what? We got we to gotta go get Jesus. This is embarrassing. The Messiah is supposed to reign. <laughs> He's supposed to wipe out the enemies, and this is not good. So we got to go steal the body. Great. What's the plan? How are we going to get past the Roman guards? I don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll just have Mary walk in front of them, and that'll distract them. And then we'll go in and get the— Right? So you got to figure out how these people are going to get— Oh, they had weapons. No, their leader told them don't have weapons. Mm, wow. How are we going to do this? Let's say they got the body. They beat up the guards. They rolled the stone away. They got the body. What are they going to do with the body? Oh, let's burn it. You can't burn it. Everybody it brings attention to what you're doing. What are you going to do with the body? Let's just throw it in the Sea of Galilee. Oh, my gosh. All right. Maybe they did that. Put it in the Sea of Galilee. Put a millstone around his neck so it'll drop. I don't know. But if that, if that happened, 
then you got to think, what's the end game? I mean, what's the end game? So they got the body. They stole the body. They buried the body. Or they dumped the body in the sea. So then they're sitting there going, all right, here's what we're going to do. All right, now that we got the body figured out, tomorrow, let's just start telling people he rose from the dead. Oh, okay, cool. So we just go out in the temple? Yeah, we just go out and talk. Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, cool. In fact, we got to get this thing going. Like we, Thomas needs you to go to India, okay, and preach in India. Who would do that for a known lie? Why no, who would just go out there and start saying something they know wasn't true? Because their life might get taken from them. The guy they're following just got killed by Jews and Romans. So now they knowingly have lied. Now they're going to go into the same place where Jesus got killed and just put their life on the line for something that's a total lie. That makes no sense. Not one of you would do that. Right? So this, this, this can't be, this isn't even a reasonable, this isn't reasonable, right? And again, you should ask people, hey, would you be willing to die for like something you just knew wasn't true? That's a feasible question that you could ask somebody in a conversation about why you believe what you believe, right? Because I, I wouldn't just go out there and give my life away for a, something I knew was not even true. Come on. All right, so what happened to the body? Because that's the one thing that could have... I could have squashed Christianity in five minutes. If, the, if, if Jesus' body was in there, I mean, all you had to do was, all right, all these people are screaming that he rose from dead. Just go get the body, man. Here he is. Put, you know, see, Christianity's done. You and I are just hanging out right now. We don't have anything to do. But that's not what happened. Because even the Jews acknowledged that the tomb was empty because they had to come up with a plan. <laughs> So the body was in there, and they just missed it? No, that's not reasonable. Okay, the body wasn't there. Well, who got it? The Roman guard? No, the Roman guards aren't going to be a conspirator because they're going to lose their life if the body's not there. What's, how many options do you have? Maybe, just maybe, God did what he said he was going to do. And so here's the deal. If it's true that Jesus was buried... And, and, and everyone saw him dead and buried. And if he really did raise from the dead, what does that mean to you today, right now, about the Christian faith? Is it really that crazy to believe that the creation that we have and all the incredible miracles that we are privy to, that same God, can't he raise somebody from the dead? And these are things that hopefully we can learn how to have conversations with our friends and talk about these things with gentleness and respect. And hopefully, yeah, like I said, in your small groups, you guys can get together and talk about these types of things. Let's help each other grow. That's what this world needs, <laughs> is it needs Christian people that aren't all intimidated or whatever, just say, hey, you know what? There's stuff about our faith that is built on strong evidence, okay? And here's the cool thing. We're gonna, over the next coming weeks, we're going to look at other aspects of what you can believe in, whether it's the Word of God or any, you know, we, we got stuff we can believe in because there aren't too many options. 
And if that tomb was empty, then that means God can overcome death. That's what that means. And if that tomb was empty, that means Jesus' claims were true. And if Jesus' claims were true, isn't it reasonable for you to think more about what those claims were? You notice how I said that, people? I didn't say, you need to follow right now or you're going to go to hell. I didn't say that. You can say, I mean, have you ever really considered these claims? Because if that tomb is empty, what does that mean for you? And I'd like, to, I'd like for you to know what that means for you. And these are the types of conversations we can have with gentleness and respect because we believe something that really happened <laughs> and that we can be proud of and not afraid of and that we can share with the entire world. And I'm going to say a prayer and we are going to take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, we believe in you and we are grateful that you care so much about us and we are grateful that Jesus came and brought the light that you put in him and gave it to all humankind. And we are grateful that he was willing to even lay his life down for all of us. And as we take the bread that represents his body and as we drink of this juice that represents the blood that he shed, we do this with a sense of humility and also a sense of expectation because we actually believe that you raised Jesus from the dead, Lord. And we also believe he's coming back. And that this world that is filled with so much junk in it, that Jesus is going to figure out how to make it right and we can be with him to see it. We thank you for that truth and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.